The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Oops, oops, oops. <laughs> you are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Side studies. All right. Welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I'm here with Cherry Lewis. Hello. And Andrew Aaron Bishop. Ooh, all three names. Am I in trouble? <laughs> yeah. In Hendersonville, North Carolina at Giraffe Studio. So please forward all complaint mail to Giraffe Studio at, no, I don't have the address also, memorized. Also tips. <laughs> right. There also you go. tips. I have a PayPal, a Venmo, a Cash App. I take Apple Pay, Facebook money. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure there's some wow. card over the phone. <clears throat> Any way you can get money to me, I can accept it. Do you have a Patreon page? No. We need I've, to start one. I've thought about that, but it's like I do charge for my services. So I'm like, so on the other side, I'm just like, well, geez, why would these people give me more money? They're, they're the, paying. The only tip I ever got in my life was someone told me to never take my mother to a Harley rally. Maybe your Good mother tip. would. I don't know. <laughs> they're, you know, they're kind of fun. They, they just they stage with a cover band playing BTO as far as I can tell and <laughs> Bachman Turner overdrive. Yeah, a couple a couple kegs of beer and you know, retired dentists in leather. I, I don't think they're that bad. Really? Yeah, no, I think, you know, in the seventies, <laughs> but it is a long time since then, and that's not how they are now. No. Now it's uh, kegs of Bud Light and retired dentists with thirty thousand dollar motorcycles and, you know, weekend leather. As yeah, I say, there's probably work. a difference between the Harley Rally and the Hells Angels Rally. Yeah, except the Hells. I'm not sure the Hells Angels really exist anymore, at least not. If they do exist in a meaningful way, I'd be willing to bet that they do not exist as the same organization in any meaningful terms that they did right. when they were infamous. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Bike Week? That's not a Harley Rally, right? That's something completely different. That's, that's just probably, any bike. Yeah, I think, I think Bike Week is probably more like somewhere between the— well-to-do Harley guys, don't forget how expensive a damn Harley is. That's, they're not jokes. And uh, and like, you know, 30-year-olds that want to do wheelies to show off the girls. You know? So I think, <laughs> yeah. I think Bike Week's a different crowd. Yeah. Do they have a moped week? I've... <laughs> oh, you know what? There's one of everything. I, there? bet, you, I bet you there's got to be a moped Yeah. Week. Yeah. That's probably more right, my range. Hey, ladies, you want to ride on this hog? <laughs> I owned a moped for a long time. Did you really? Yeah. I had, a, I had a Honda Ruckus. I loved that thing. How about that? Let's say it's good on gas. Speaking of Hondas, you know, a lot of people talked about how the disciples had to walk everywhere. Did you know that they had a Honda? No. Everywhere they went was in one accord. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and the dad good. jokes, the dad jokes begin. <laughs> that was I love like, it. That was an excellent transition segue. There you yeah, go. absolutely. So we're going to do a side study. But before we get into that, and since we're joking, there was a joke I was supposed to bring a long time ago. I didn't. So I'm going to go ahead and bring the joke now. So here's how it goes. There is a an Episcopalian, a Presbyterian, and a Baptist, and their wives, and they all die in a plane crash, and they end up standing at the gates, and an angel standing there looking at the books, and they see these three lines— and they're standing in this one big line, and the angel is sort of sending them each to their own individual line. And so the Episcopalian walks up with his wife, and the angel says, 
It says here that you were very fond of the drink. In fact, a lot of people said that you were Whiskeypalians, not Episcopalians. You like to drink so much that you married a woman named Sherry. You're supposed to go in that line over there. And so they walk over to the line, right? And the Presbyterian walks up. It says here that you are a man of the cloth. It also says that you loved money. And you loved money so much that you married a woman named Penny. You're going to be going in that line over there. And so the Baptist minister looked at his wife and said, Well, Fanny, I guess we go to that other line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. Yeah. You noticed the rim shot. I, <laughs> I did. I noticed that in the last. He put a rim shot in the last recording. I randomly threw a rim shot in over after one of Rick's jokes. <laughs> yeah. They're terrible. I have an endless supply of terrible dad jokes. I can't help it. Well, we don't have Ralph Hicks here today. Ralph is going to be doing some traveling. Ralph is Ralph travels all the time. He's on the road all the time. So we're lucky if we ever get him here in the studio. And he's going to be gone actually for a couple of weeks. And uh, I get married. Um, funny enough, I'm actually getting married this Saturday and next Saturday. Wow. We discovered because of some COVID restrictions that we weren't going to be able to get married in South Carolina in time. And that's where our venue, we, we, we did this in a hurry. And so we got this venue and uh, not realizing that there were some restrictions. We had to go through the courthouse and then we had to have an ordained minister from the state of South Carolina, which we did not have planned and didn't know of any. And so we got a marriage license here in North Carolina. We have a North Carolina minister and, uh, uh, my fiance and I are going up to Murphy, North Carolina, to a little church called Vengeance Creek Baptist. Vengeance Creek. It's a beautiful little church. I love this place. I went and visited. One of her bridesmaids grew up in that church. And so we're going up there Saturday. My mother and my aunt and my grandmother are all coming down and going with me on my side. And then her parents and uh, a friend of her family's are going to be there on her side as witnesses. And we're going to have a little marriage on Saturday, which is exactly perfect. What like I would be totally happy with that. But um, but then we have the following Saturday where we're going to have the actual ceremony and all of the family and everybody will be there. So I'm super excited. So well, that's excellent. And yeah, you get, to, you get to have you get to do it twice, which is kind of fun. It can it, be fun. Yeah, and, uh, you know, for she's. I told her, hey, look at the bright side. You get two anniversary presents every year. <laughs> you nice. know, nice. Hey, remember this? We got married on this day, but our true anniversary is this day, oh, right? Oh, but here's the deal. Means you get a week's warning every year. <laughs> every year, so you, you can't. So if you forget, you you it's not a whole second. It's so yeah, you get a second chance because there's something will come up and remind you. Right, right. You get a, you get a little buffer before <clears throat> the real one, right? Because the the legal one is the second one. That's right? exa- no, actually, the first one's the legal one. Oh, so you don't really get the. Buffer. I don't get the pass. Yeah, like I I screw up, and then a week later I get to make up for what I missed at there, the beginning. There you go. <laughs> you go like that way. Anyhow, so I'm excited about that. So. Oh, congratulations again. Uh, thank you. The next time you'll see me, I will be a married man. I'm very excited. So Ralph had asked if we could do a historical account of Lazarus. That was what his plan was. Uh, we've all been very busy with our personal jobs and the things that we have to do. And so um, he he did give me some information today, which I thought was really cool. He was reading in some of his Catholic books about uh, the Gospel of John, and he found this little paragraph in it. And he said, I was so shocked. It said that Lazarus's name was John Eleazar, and, which I had said before, and I didn't know it was in the Catholic Yeah, book. I remember you mentioning that, yeah. Yeah, so Lazarus is basically a, a, uh, the English version of the Aramaic word Alazar, which is a Hebrew word, which is Eleazar, which is from the priest line. Eleazar is a priest line name. 
And so that was one of the reasons why I felt like he had the entrance into the priest's inner sanctum was because he was from the priest line. But also, uh, it's said that it was considered that John, if you call it the Gospel of John, that it would actually work because his name was John Eleazar. So it's pretty neat. You know, and that was oh, in his cool. little Catholic book, so I thought that was pretty cool. But what I wanted to talk about today, and uh, we're just going to wrap this up uh, pretty quick, and um, this is called The Golden Legend. It was compiled in the 13th century, and it records the provincial tradition, and it records a grand lifestyle imagined for Lazarus and his sisters. But here's something that's interesting. It says this, Mary Magdalene and her surname, or had her surname of Magdala, a castle, and was born of right noble lineage and parents, which were descended of the lineage of kings. And her father was named Cyrus, and her mother, Eucharist. She, with her brother, Lazarus, and her sister, Martha, possessed the castle of Magdala, which is two miles from Nazareth and Bethany, the castle which is nigh to Jerusalem, and also a great part of Jerusalem, which all these things they departed among them. In such wise that Mary had the castle Magdala, whereof she had her name Magdalene, and Lazarus had the part of the city of Jerusalem, and Martha had to her part Bethany. And when Mary gave herself to all delights of the body, and Lazarus extended all to knighthood, Martha, which was wise, governed nobly her brother's part, and also her sister's, and also her own, and administered to knights and her servants and to poor men such necessities as they needed. Nevertheless, after the ascension of our Lord, they sold all these things. Hmm. So that was written in the 13th century in regard to Lazarus. So it's like— so. Mary Magdalene is Lazarus's sister? Yes. Remember, I had said that I thought— Somehow I missed that. Yeah, I had thought that it was possible. And if you remember, I said that in, in our last podcast, we were talking about—I think it was our last podcast—how— I can't remember exactly when we said it. I'm sorry. It wasn't in a side study. Or yeah, it was in a side study with me and you, Cherry. That's right. The last time we did the side study. That I had thought that because Luke was the ordered— you know, we talked about that in the last podcast, how Luke was the ordered gospel. It's the one where it's the true historical account. You can base your timeline off of that. This is all my opinion, of course. However— Which we know is right. It, always. <laughs> and so if anybody questions it, just send a check to Giraffe Studio at— That's right. Or PayPal or Cash App <clears throat> or, or Venmo. Venmo or, no. We're going to start a Patreon for sure. So evidently— and I honestly do believe that I'm right. I think that that this time when this woman comes into Simon the Pharisee's house and she kneels down at the feet of Jesus, and she uh, actually, I think she anoints his head. Um, this is an earlier time. It's literally two years prior to the, when the other gospels say that it has happened, because it happened right before his crucifixion. So if that's the case and it's ordered, then this could have happened twice. I think that it did. And it makes total sense because especially for me as a Christian, you know, you go through these different experiences through your life and sometimes you come full circle to some of the people that you met in the beginning, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's a difference between you. Like when I talk about David Allen, you know, my relationship to David Allen years and years and years ago, now when I see him, there's a sweetness to it that's, you can't even describe it. I need to change the air in this place, apparently. It's not you. It's, it's... <laughs> It's, it's like, you. it's not you, it's me. Yeah. <laughs> it's not me, it's you. Yes, pardon me while I take a drink of this. <sighs> Brought to you. That was good Kool-Aid. That was good Foley. So when I read that, I was like, oh, this is neat. Because I had thought that Mary Magdalene 
as it says in this legend, this is just a legend. Someone had written this, but someone else had picked up on this too, that it looks like Mary Magdalene was the woman who was, um, she's always been mistakenly called a prostitute. She's not a prostitute. She's a sinner, they say. And Simon the Pharisee said about this this woman, if he knew who she was, he wouldn't let her touch him. Well, that could be for any reason, not just some sexual sin. I mean, it could be anything. But Mary Magdalene had seven demons that Christ had exercised out of her. So we don't know what she was like prior to this, but we do know that she was penitent and she came and she was thankful, right? So it seems to me that in this legend, if Martha was in Bethany and she was taking care of all of the riches, and we know that this family had money, they definitely did. So she was the theoretically the good one, the church lady that I was talking about. You know, she's always staying busy mm-hmm. doing the church stuff. Yeah. Um, this legend sort of follows, and I'd never read this before, but when I was researching to wrap this up, I read it and I was so elated because I was like, oh, wow, that's so close to what, you know, I'd kind of put together in the scriptures of my own. So maybe somebody else saw that. But I believe that Mary Magdalena of Magdala, of the castle of Magdala, was that woman and that they came again. And I believe that Simon the Pharisee contracted leprosy, that Jesus healed him of that leprosy. And then later on, a couple years later, all of these people converged at Bethany shortly before Jesus goes to his crucifixion. You know, right after the resurrection of Lazarus, all these people come to this big high point. It's really neat to, of course, I don't know anything about this basically except what you tell me, but it's really cool to think about how intertwined this stuff might have been. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that's super fun to me, but it's more fun than if they were just random people in a way. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just, it almost looks more, it almost looks more possible to me. Mm -hmm. Because, Because you know what I mean? Yeah. I agree with you. I think in our own lives, if you think about it, most people keep their circle small. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not like just running into just anybody. It would make more sense that they would all be intertwined like that. Sure, friends of friends. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that if they, you know, when you're telling a story and, you know, this story could have, according to the Gospel of John, if you had written all the books of all the things Jesus did, the earth couldn't contain, you know, in his mind, the earth couldn't contain all the things that I saw this man do. But I believe that the circle was very small. You know, Andrew was over here, and then he went and got Peter, and then Peter took James and John, and then James and John came over here, and then Jesus saw Nathaniel under the tree, and he spoke to Nathaniel, and then here comes Philip, and hey, I found this guy. And they're all this close-knit group. They all know one another, or they're in Galilee. And then John the Baptist has, you know, got this craziness. He is the cousin of Jesus, so he's related. And he's the one that's coming in the spirit of Elijah to, you know, make the path straight for the Lord. And so so John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin? Absolutely. Oh, that's so cool. See, didn't know that either. And see, it, and you find that out in the Gospel of Luke. It talks about how John the Baptist, his father, uh, Zechariah, or Zecharias, I think it was, he was a priest. And while he was while he was a priest, him and his wife had been trying to have children. They couldn't. She was barren. Uh, her name was Elizabeth, and that was the cousin of Mary. And so, yeah, and that's so how you can put that the timeline. Second cousins. Of, wow. Mm-hmm. Second, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Second cousins. Yeah. Exactly. And that's how you can also put the timeline of when Jesus was born, which was not December twenty fifth. December twenty. No, of course. Yeah. December twenty yeah. fifth is. We say that it's pagan. There is an actual Christian reference. I don't know if I talked about that in the podcast, but. December 25th would have been the time, the exact time, that the Magi came to visit the Christ child and gave him gifts. That's when that happened. So the Roman Catholic Church sort of adopted that as his birth. He was already one and a half, almost two years old by this point because he had been you know, taken away because of King Herod and the massacre of the innocents, killing the, all the babies two years and younger. 
you know, which is also a repeat. You remember I was talking about the second Exodus? Yes. Okay, well, if you know during Moses' time, just keep keep that in mind. Moses was the first Exodus. They also massacred the innocents during his time. That's why he was put into a little the ark, basket, yeah. the basket that was sent down the river. So there's a lot of parallels. It's pretty cool. But anyway, um, when Ralph said that he wanted to, you know, finish this up, I thought, you know, that, you know, I'll look into that. But when I read that legend, I was like, oh, wow, you know, that's super cool. So let's let's finish this up with this, this last little bit here. I'm not going to give you all my sources because it's coming directly from Wikipedia. Therefore, you know it's completely okay. But so whoever wrote this, thank you for writing it. But it's very, very informative. It's pretty cool. So I'm going to read this and then that's going to end our Lazarus study. And we're going to move on to our next one for the next week. So according to Eastern Orthodox Church tradition, sometime after the resurrection of Christ, Lazarus was forced to flee Judea because of rumored plots on his life and came to Cyprus. There, he was appointed by Barnabas and Paul the Apostle as the first bishop of Kition, present-day Larnaca. He lived there for more than 30 years, and on his death was buried there for the second and last time. (laughs) Further establishing the apostolic nature of Lazarus' appointment was the story that the bishops, Omophorion, which is some sort of a, a, a garment that goes over your shoulder, right? Now listen to this. This is so cool. Was presented to Lazarus by the Virgin Mary. Now, she was no longer a virgin at this point. She had other children. However, if you remember in the Gospel of John, the disciple whom Jesus loved had Mary. Remember? Mm -hmm. Behold your mother, mother behold your. So it seems that Mary was with Lazarus. She made him this special thing and gave to him. So Larry wasn't, or Larry. (laughs) Larry. Biblical Larry. There you go. Combination of Mary and Do you guys remember the 15th apostle, Larry? (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> so Lazarus, by Dan Whitley. <laughs> yeah, uh, Lazarus and Mary were together in Cyprus. You know, there's a lot of legend. All Orthodox churches, the Catholic Church, they all have their different versions of these histories. But one thing that really was interesting, uh, and Virgin Mary had woven this thing herself. Such apostolic connections were central to the claims to autocephaly. What does that mean? I have no idea, but it happens without anything helping it. Uh, pro- right. It says, uh, meaning property of being self-headed, the status of hierarchical Christian church whose head bishop does not report to any higher-ranking bishop. Oh, okay. top man. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, autocephaly made by the bishops of Kidion, subject only to the patriarch of Jerusalem during the period of 325-431. I don't know what that means. Uh, anyway, according to tradition, Lazarus never smiled during the 30 years after his resurrection, Worried by the sight of unredeemed souls he had seen during his four-day stay in hell. Yeah, okay. The only exception was when he saw someone stealing a pot, he smilingly said, the clay steals the clay. Hmm, Okay. In 890, a tomb was found in Larnaca bearing the inscription, Lazarus, the friend of Christ. Emperor Leo VI of Byzantium had Lazarus' remains transferred to Constantinople in 898. The transfer was apostrophized by Arethas, Bishop of Caesarea, and is commemorated by the Eastern Orthodox Church each year on October 17th. In recompense to Lanarca, Emperor Leo had the Church of St. Lazarus, which still exists today, erected over Lazarus's tomb. The marble sarcophagus can be seen inside the church under the Holy of Holies. After the sacking of Constantinople by the Franks during the Fourth Crusade in 1204, the Crusaders carried the saints' relics to Marseille, France, as part of the uh, the booty of war. From there, 
Later on, they disappeared, and up to the present day, they have not been traced, supposedly. But then in the 16th century, a Russian monk from the monastery of Skov visited St. Lazarus's tomb in Larnaca and took with him a small piece of the relics. Perhaps that piece led to the erection of the St. Lazarus Chapel at the Skov Monastery, where it is kept to this day. On November 23, 1972, human remains and a marble sarcophagus were discovered under the altar during renovation works in the Church of St. Lazarus at Larnaca and were identified as part of the saint's relics. In June 2012, the Church of Cyprus gave a part of the holy relics of St. Lazarus to a delegation of the Russian Orthodox Church, led by Patriarch Kirill of Moscow and all Russia, after a four-day visit to Cyprus. The relics were brought to Moscow and were given to Archbishop Arsene of Istra, who took them to the Zakatevsky Monastery, where they were put up for veneration. <laughs> he did a lot of traveling. Yeah, I was going to say something similar. Yeah, yeah. Well-traveled in death, for sure. Jeez. Can you imagine being so venerated after death that people would want your bones and carry them all over the world? I mean, that's bizarre. It's interesting story. Second, I mean, he's the only other person to be raised from the dead besides Christ, right? Well, no, no. he was no. Uh, he he had raised the widow of Nain's son. He had raised the daughter of Jairus. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then you know the disciples. Uh, Peter had raised a, a girl named Dorcas. Elijah. But, uh, the Tishbite oh, really? raised okay, the son so of the widow. Yeah, the boy. There's all sorts of raising going on. I don't yeah. know. Lots of resurrecting going on up in here. But the resurrection of Christ, what it sets it apart from all of the other resurrections is that no one resurrected Christ. Christ sure. right. was resurrected. Um, he, According to what he said, and, and if you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up, which was nothing more than a claim that he was God. So he was capable of raising himself up. So anyway, that ends our study on Lazarus. He absolutely wrote the Gospel of John, and if anybody doesn't believe it, I'll fight you. I'll take you down right now. No, but seriously, I sincerely believe that. Everything that I've read. Now, if anybody wants to disagree with me, I would I would be happy to do an argument podcast stating this has to be John, and feel free to do it while I'm not here. I actually looked <laughs> some of it up. You're not the only person that thinks that. I'm not. I looked some, yeah, I just, you know. For fun? Yeah. I did. I was like, huh, I wonder if anybody else thought this. And so actually, other people think this. Yeah. I mean, there there have been other people who have claimed that there that is the possibility. To me, it seems like the Holy Spirit's pretty much spelling it out for everybody in the book when it says that, and Jesus loved Lazarus, loved Lazarus, loved, you know, maybe mm-hmm. he's not the rich young ruler, but I think he is. I think he is. Well, I was thinking about the the claim that Lazarus was so sad because of all the souls he'd seen while he was in hell. I thought, well, if he was the leper that was healed, I wouldn't he would, have, he would have not been in paradise. In, yeah, I would not have been thought that he would be in hell. Yeah, absolutely. To me, it seems that way. You know, and whenever we did we did the podcast and we talked about the rich man and Lazarus. I'd say maybe I'd be more sad to think I was in paradise and I got brought back here. Yeah. If you remember, I had said that Jesus had, was it a parable or was it a true story, the rich man and Lazarus? And, you know, um, in our faith in the Baptist church, they believe that it's a parable. Oh, they believe it's real, not a parable. And I said, and I agree with that because it uses the name. But then I started studying a little bit more, and I I sort of claimed that. But then I started, I did some research, and I discovered something really unique that I didn't mean to discover. It was purely by accident. So, and I said this in one of the podcasts, I think, but when Jesus talks about the rich man that fared sumptuously and was in in, uh, fine linen, fine purple linen, 
That is the chief priest. The chief priest uses fine purple linen. And he said, I have five brethren. Okay, and I'd said this before. So the weird part was Annas, who is mentioned in the Gospel of John, is the father-in-law of Caiaphas. And so Annas was the previous high priest who still has some influence. And his son-in-law is now the high priest. And so this rich man, whenever he's in hell, he looks up, he says, I have five brethren. He uses the name number five. And I'd said that Annas has five children. And so that would have been his brothers-in-law, but those would have been his brethren. All five children of Annas the high priest became a high priest and his son-in-law, but all five of them did. And the weird part was in 37 to 41 AD was one called Theophilus ben Ah. Anonis. And we just read about how Luke Luke is writing to to most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus. He was writing to him. I think Jesus was either speaking prophetically and Lazarus died, but Caiaphas wasn't dead at that point. I think Caiaphas died six years after Christ did. But it's almost like it's a parable, but it's true because Lazarus was the person that he raised from the dead. But if you keep in mind, remember what I said about Lazarus? His name is Eleazar. So if it was spoken in his language, it would have been Eleazar of the priest line dies, but this rich man who fared. So it's almost like he's doing a play on who is the real priest and who isn't. It's a pretty unique little thought, but there's no way. I mean, I don't believe that it's Lazarus necessarily. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. It depends on the day. You know, I don't know. That's the way it is with everything. I found it interesting that Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days. Some people say Jonah died. Mm-hmm. They referenced that this would be in hell, in the belly of a well. Then you said Lazarus was sad because mm-hmm. they thought that he had spent four days in hell. Mm-hmm. And Sheol, that was the word. You remember I said uh, Gehenna or what, Hades. We were talking about the, the dead, and I was like, what is the Hebrew word? It's called Sheol, which is where all the dead go, Sheol, okay. in the Hebrew religion. Yeah. So thank you, Cherry Lewis. Thank you, Rick. <laughs> thank you, Andy. <laughs> You're welcome. That <laughs> that wraps it up, and uh, that's the end of this side study. So, uh, if anybody you know has any argument or anything whatsoever, whenever we do put out this podcast, please you know let us know. I'm, we're always searching. We're we're not perfectly set in stone. Like this is the way it is. We love to learn. That's why we're Bereans. We like to study to see if it's so. You know. So thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Invited me up, and I did a recording, and Andy was, Andy, did you live uh, with the Gillums, or did you just? No, I just kind of worked for them. It was a weird situation, honestly. Yeah. And of course, they were weird people, but I just, I had just kind of got out of uh, school not long before that, or, you know, back from up north where I did my internship, and somehow, I don't have any idea how I met them. I have the worst. Through Ryan Witted. Yeah, I guess that would it would have to be. And uh, somehow they found out that I had gone to school for it and they had designs on making a recording studio in their basement. And they put together a very modest uh, studio and uh, asked me to, like, work at it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and that's kind of how I got my start, if not for that. I mean, it was a... There was nothing special about the place and the work I did while I was there was pretty trash. But, uh, you know... It was a it was a it was a nice launch pad and I worked there uh part time while I worked at the honey baked ham and I recorded for them and I 
saved up some money and bought my first work computer and when inevitably it all fell apart because there was no way that was going to work. If you knew the people, you'd know why. Um, then I, you know, I took my computer and uh, that's right because it was Ryan's gear. And uh, the whole thing, Ryan, I think there was a falling out there and uh, Ryan kind of got burned and then sold me all of that gear for like just too good an effing deal. Too good a deal. Yeah. And and I, that was the core of my first recording studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> my first recording was with you up there. I, it was You were in, what band were you in? It wasn't a band. I did a spoken word thing called the Fishers of Men. Oh boy, I, I'd like to say I remember it, but I'd be lying. All I remember is that you had curly hair on top of your head. And, <laughs> well, it was a while ago then. Yeah, it was a while ago. You had curly hair on top of your head, and you were eating ramen downstairs. I think it was ramen or something. And then we uh, we had we recorded that, and that was spoken word. It was called "The Fishers of Men," and it was about Peter. 